My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Hey, welcome to Transmission. So glad to have you with us. Today on the show, Steve Marion, better known by his recording name, Delicate Steve. As a sideman, he has joined up with folks like Paul Simon, Mac DeMarco, Tame Impala, The Black Keys, and Yaysayer. But all along, he's made his own fantastic instrumental guitar recordings. His latest album is out now on Anti Records, and it's called After Hours. It blends vibey rhythms with cyber rock riffs always placing an emphasis on the emotionally compelling melodies that Steve dreams up. For this talk, we dug into his cover of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, one of the rare examples of a rendition of that song I can actually stand, as well as his work with previous Transmissions guest Shazad Ismaili on the new record. We also get into his complicated artistic relationship with Kanye West. I'm not going to spoil anything here in this upfront spiel. Just just stick around for that. It's some fascinating stuff. And we talked about his playing on one of my favorite albums of all time, Amen Dunes Freedom. Had a really great time speaking with Steve. He is a real one, and I am excited to share this talk with you. Before we roll tape on the conversation, a reminder. Transmissions relies on your word of mouth. So spread the word that we are creating a weekly interview show in which artists open up about their process, inspirations, and the moments that music has helped them achieve a state of transcendence. If you want to take things further in terms of your support, Aquarium Drunkard is on Patreon, and I encourage you to head over there and check it out. Okay, Delicate Steve, this is Transmissions. Well, thanks so much for taking the time uh, and joining us here on Aquarium Drunker Transmissions. It's a real treat to have you. Awesome. I'm, I'm happy to be here. We're just going into it, as you can tell. <laughs> cool. Let's do it. D- dig it. So uh, where, where, are you, where are you at right now, Steve? Um, I am sitting here in Brooklyn, New York. And is that where you're staying these days? These few days, yes, um, I've been all over the place this year, um, and uh, but I lived in in Brooklyn for pretty much the last decade. Yeah, um, yeah. It. I think it, I I read that you weathered at least a chunk of the pandemic south of me down in Tucson. Is that right? Yeah. Where Whereabouts are you? I'm in Phoenix. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, but I love Tucson. I grew up just about halfway between both towns oh cool whereabouts coolidge arizona okay yeah i love arizona Um, yeah i was uh, curious what brought what brought you to what brought you to tucson uh i have some family out there and uh, i've always wanted to go back and visit i i i spent a couple weeks out there maybe a decade ago when when my cousin moved out there 
And um, it's just kind of one of those towns that it's hard to justify like a, a trip to um, for a vacation when you're doing so much touring. But then when right. the pan- pandemic happened, it was, it was like, it kind of felt like a no brainer. And, and my, um, my aunt and uncle had a, had a little like sort of uh, guest casita. Um, so yeah, I was staying out there and it was, it was a great, um, a great way to escape a year of the pandemic in New York city. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love Tucson. It's such a beautiful place. I saw, I don't, I don't remember uh, the second that I mentioned, started saying the sentence, the, the name of the tune flip slipped right out of my head, but I saw you did a video that you shot out in the desert and I don't know if it's, oh, yeah. if it said like in the YouTube description shot in Tucson, but I recognize that I was like, that looks a lot like, looks a lot like Tucson. I wonder if that's where Steve is. And yeah, so that later it seemed, yeah, that it all lined up. Yeah. There was one video that was done in, um, uh, Gates, Gates pass. Is it, or was I thinking of, uh, yeah, what is it? I think that's park, right. Um, the west the west side of of the city like Suaro national park west i think it's like um gates pass but that also sounds like a uh highway in uh some other part of it no it's gates pass <laughs> yeah yeah um but uh yeah and then i did a new uh video for a song on my new record in uh, bisbee arizona actually yeah, as well. Bisbee's another cool, very cool town. Weird town. It certainly is. I like weird towns. Uh and I and I I really love After Hours. This is such a such a great record. I you know, a lot of your a lot of your records I really really enjoy. Um this one there's a sound a quality to the tone of the guitar that is very just really, really pleasing, uh, as there always is, but it feels, you know, very naturalistic, this, this go around and, uh, and these melodies are fantastic and it's just a really enjoyable listen. So I wanted to start by letting you know how much I, how much I dig the record. Oh, thank you very much. That's, that's really nice to hear. You recorded this one in part up in the Catskills, right? And that figure eight in Brooklyn there with, uh, Previous transmissions guest Shazad Ismaili. Exactly. Yep. He, you know, he is one of the most interesting <laughs> people I've ever spoke to. He's got such an interesting view on everything and such an interesting sensibility. Uh, how did you first connect with him? Um, that's a good question. He's he's kind of been around for you know. Uh, like in the, in the sort of Brooklyn scene and, and, but in a sort of mysterious way where like we met maybe four or five times, but always kind of in passing and he's running off to like some other show or something. It's like, I was just like, huh, who, who is that guy? And uh, I, I first saw him actually play um, in 2010, I think at the um, sort of tribute concert for Michael Azarod's book, Our Band Could Be Your Life. Yeah. Where, at Bowery Ballroom, he got a bunch of acts to, to do all the bands in the book, and including Delicate Steve, who did the Minutemen. Um, and uh, yeah, um, St. Vincent did Big Black with um, 
the rhythm section of the dirty projectors and Shazad was playing this just like dementedly pitched like synthesizer like that was just off and this it was so it was like you know everybody had a good time that night but the saint vincent set i think blew everybody out of the water um anyway so that's the first time i, I met Shazad, and um uh basically this whole record came to be um because um Shazad was was working on another record um with anti the label i'm on yeah and um i was talking to um andy calkin who runs the label and um you know he brought shazad's name up about, about somebody to, who i could work with and i was like you know what yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna give him a call and uh yeah he was so um just sort of like a nurturing presence where I didn't know. I never know what I'm doing when I'm making a record. Um, I have ideas and those always change when I'm actually in the studio. So it's hard for me to plot a whole thing out and, um, and say, okay, I'm going to need this and I want you to do this. And, and he could sense that and was just super accommodating and was sort of like, you know, I'm around whatever you need. So it was a really easy way to, to begin working together. And, uh, um, he became sort of like the, I would, I would basically, um, call him down to, to play bass on everything. And he was the first musician to, um, add, add their, their parts onto the record. And so every, every time on every song that he played on, would just completely flip the whole thing for me and make me feel so invigorated again on, on whatever song i was working on it was just such an awesome experience to be to share some time with him and, and get to see him uh, try out ideas on my tunes yeah that's awesome your records have uh, traditionally a lot of delicate steve records uh early on i mean it would just be you on on the albums and that's something that's really pretty much continued through through most of the stuff obviously you do have collaborators and people who maybe help out but this is the first time after hours where you've really got kind of a a band going how did that how did that change the way you view your your tunes and 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 what informed the decision to to go that route after so long of of kind of handling things predominantly yourself um well it's funny jimmy page kind of comes to mind right now because he's like i wanted to i always i always wanted to have different uh you know engineers do our records so that everybody could know it wasn't the engineer that had the sound and it was me behind the, <laughs> the you know the sound of a zeppelin and this kind of like thing and i'm like man like I I'm the complete opposite. Like I just don't have a lot of money to work with. So like I'm doing it all myself and I've done it all myself because of that. And I wish, I wish I had, you know, more time in the studio, a producer, an engineer, you know, a band. I just don't have songs in advance of making a record. A, a big part of making a record for me is like discovering it while I'm making it um so you know if i had like bigger advances throughout the you know my history as an artist like i would have been 
working with people a lot sooner. Um, so, so in, in one way, a big part of this, um, is just sort of like logistical financial, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't want to, um, I'm very conscious of, of, of like asking sort of favors for, for music from musicians and stuff. Hey, do you want to do this? And I like to make sure everyone's getting, getting paid. Right. Um, right. So, you know, that's, that's a really big part of it. Like I, I, I think of, I feel like Kanye West is an easy example to bring up too, where it's like, you know, you hear that, like he's, he's had, you know, five mixers mix the same track, uh, you know, five of the best mixers. And then he kind of picks, picks the one he likes. I'm like, I wish I could do that. Like, that's awesome. Like, <laughs> right. Like right. I, it's otherwise as an artist, you're like, you, you're just sweating all the time. You're like, I've got this amount of budget. This mixer is going to pull up, you know, basically do this as a favor. You know, it's got to sound good. I know they're not going to like spend a lot of more time if they want to, if I need to get it tweaked. So it's just like, it's going to be like a fucking nightmare. I feel like to, to, uh, involve a lot of people and value their time as it, as it should be valued. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the biggest reason really that most of my records I've done myself. I'm lucky that I know how to record myself. And that I've, before I had this band, I like grew up recording other bands and love recording and mixing. And, um, cause if I didn't have the, that skill set, like, you know, I don't think I could be really making records. R right. Right. I appreciate the honesty of that answer and the sort of frankness of it, right? Because, of course, we would, like, as a musician, as somebody who's a creative person, I'm sure there's no denying the the power and the sort of magic of what happens when you get people in a room and everybody's working towards the same goal, the goal being a song and everybody wanting to bring their their full kind of creative capacity to it. At the same time, I really love the records that you've made just on your own too. And and they don't feel like they lack that kind of interplay. I wonder as somebody who has had to do a lot of it on on your own, uh, do, do you ever think of it as sort of... <laughs> I'm thinking of the song playing in a band, right? The, on the new record. Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking about how for so much of your your discography, it's been you playing by yourself or or kind of accompanying yourself. And I wonder, like, did you find, have you found that there are ways to sort of tap into that interplay when you're playing along with yourself or, or you know, or, Am I, am I, am I, do you kind of, can you kind of feel where I'm, where I'm trying to go with this yeah, one? Yeah, <laughs> I'm struggling. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I, I, I love to play music so much and I love to be inspired next to like a, uh, you know, something that can record my ideas. Yeah. And I love to play the bass and I love to play rhythm guitar and I love, I don't just, I'm not just like, yeah yeah let me do all this other stuff so that i can have this soaring guitar melody like that's all that's really what i care about or something like sure the whole thing is so fun to me like so um so to sit behind a drum kit for a while and sort of maybe come up with something i like or something that's just can get get a song going 
and then hop to another instrument and, you know, find something that connects with that. Um, that's like, that's making a record for me. So like, and you know, I definitely am like, uh, sort of keyed into records that are, um, you know, based in with an interplay and not sort of, sort of loop loop and like choppy and that kind of thing. So, so I love, I just, I love to do all that stuff. And so I think, you know, thinking about all my other records, like I'm having, by the time I'm performing what would be the final bass track or the final drum track of whatever song on my, you know, third record, like at that point, I'm like so locked in and I'm having so much fun with the take. And like, so I think there's a lot of interplay on all of those records because yeah, um, I'm feeling it there. Um, yeah. You know, that feeling it comes across. Like, I, I love, I love that there's a, you're not a, you're, anytime I mentioned somebody like, yeah, you got to check out this guy, Delicate Steve, he's an instrumental guitarist. I mean, I think that that, that, that term calls to mind so many reference points for people, you know, and they're not they're not applicable reference points when it comes to the music that you're making um i don't want to call you like an anti-shredder because you because you're a great guitarist you know but i definitely feel like what i pick up on and what uh what i most sort of connect to in your body of work is the song focus it doesn't sound like a joe satriani record or whatever no offense to people who really dig a joe satriani record um but you know that that songwriter sense feels like that's what that's what comes across first and foremost i mean are you when you are coming up with your parts and when you're coming up especially with the lead sort of melodies um are you generally thinking sort of in a, a song based form or do a lot of these ideas first kind of appear a little bit more disconnected and, and more in sort of like the lick lick stage? How, does, I mean, or does it work both ways for you? How do, how do things start to come together, especially given that you're often making these records without like a, a definite roadmap? Yeah. I mean, uh, just thinking about what you said about how to describe delicate Steve. It's, it's funny because, um, it's like somebody, some interview the other day was like, uh, you know, you, you know, you made a, a, a new, another guitar record and, um, you know, how does it feel kind of putting another kind of guitar record into the world or something like that? Mm. And, and I was like, fuck you. You would never say, Hey, uh, you made a new rap record. How does it feel to put a new rap record into the world? How does it feel to put yeah. a new pop record? It's like, it's like not like, uh, yeah, right. It's, like, it's just what you do. It's just what I do. Just like what a rapper does is make a rap record. Like, it's it's not like uh, uh choosing to do this. It's it's just what you do. Yeah, which is really funny. And 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 I think that what sort of what. I do um, subconsciously is like <laughs> it's it's like um, I'm trying to think of another example of of an artist, but it's like you know 
it's some some artist from like Thailand that grew up only listening to Michael Jackson and ha- plays like a crappy drum set or like <laughs> it's like it's it's not that that whatever the music that that person makes is not like defined by what it sounds like but it's like kind of what it's what their intention was behind it and yeah. it's like this person is trying to make a, a Michael Jackson level pop song with like a tin can and you know like doesn't have the right equipment and and so you could call that you could define that as like it's like a lo-fi um psych tie (laughs) but it's really not and 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 the intention is something totally different i feel like my the intention of my music is um what my music is really about but what it never gets labeled as um it gets labeled as like kind of what it what it sounds like or what kind of category like it's a guitar thing and the intention like you're like you're getting at is like it's it's um you know it's pop music and um my favorite singers and artists and songwriters who are all like huge voices um pop pop voices and also you know some subversive pop artists as well and so that kind of gets all blended up into my thing and uh so yeah, I'm, I'm like never thinking about it from a, from how it gets, you know, defined like a guitar pr- perspective or something like that. I, yeah. I don't even ever think in those terms, which is kind of funny. Um, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, it's easy, right? For for pe- people are always with music, and and the more I do this show, and the more I talk with artists, and the more I connect with with people in this in this field the more I, I i realize that like especially for for musicians who are about feel over technical anything it's like the guitar is just a conduit it's the one it's the instrument that you've got in your hand that's gonna get you where you're trying to go uh but it sounds like obviously you can just pop off and and if you're playing the bass like that's doing the same you're you're doing the same thing no matter which instrument is in your hand. But people are always looking for something to hold on to in terms of like, I need to contextualize what this is, you know? I need a binary. I need to say this is this kind of thing. And and it's tough because I do feel like when people uh, think about your music in those reductive terms, I think I think they're missing a lot of the joy and a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the appeal. Uh, the best thing for me, of course, is when I'm listening to it. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm not thinking about yeah. about. Uh, I'm not thinking about it, it, where does this fit in. Where does this is this more like? Uh, I, I'm a big. I'm a huge fan and friend of William Tyler, the the guitarist, and he's an instru- oh, yeah. he's an instrumental dude too, right? But he's been on the show and talked about how he's telling stories when it, when he's playing music. He's trying to tell a story. He's trying to trying to paint a picture he's trying to make a movie you know like and it's like you could say like hey so man there's no words on this i don't know uh what it means but that's that's not true you know what it means when you're hearing it right uh or maybe you don't know what it means but you can feel it and that's more important and that's more you know that's more exciting i i think about how 
I was listening through, you know, a lot of your stuff and I'm of the opinion that like that no one ever needs to cover Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen ever again. Um that's that that's that's been my my long held opinion. So I saw that you played it and I was like, okay, I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give Steve the full benefit of the doubt. <laughs> and while I was listening to it, I was like, okay, I still feel that way because no one's gonna top this version. Um you are doing something with that that I think speaks to what we're talking about. Nobody would ever say to Leonard Cohen, hey, Leonard Cohen, how do you feel about putting another singer-songwriter record into the world, right? Because yeah. that's such a goofy thing to, to say or to think. And when I was listening to that, I was like, this song, Hallelujah, a song that has culturally become one of the most strange things ever in my opinion uh, the the people play that song at their weddings you know and it's like yes. are you yeah. sure <laughs> you know like are you are you sure this is the song you want to play at your wedding uh or your funeral or whatever occasion because to me that song is like a, a whole vast world to live in and removing the lyrics removing the uh the poetic the, at least the the linguistic poetic content allowed me to just hear it as a song. And you did such an incredible job phrasing and bringing that sense of emotion to that song. I mean, was that a challenge? That seems like it would be a, a, a tough a tough one to take on. Well, I did it. Um, I got asked to play uh, Leonard Cohen uh, benefit concert or tribute concert after he passed away in, I guess, December or or concert was maybe january of 2017 and um to be honest i don't really i never really got into leonard cohen he was somebody that you know i people speak highly of and i just it there's a there's a million artists like this who like <clears throat> for instance just just this just last week i got into uh jorge ben mm, and yeah. i'm obsessed with him and he's like somebody i knew that was fantastic that i just it just the, the timing was off. So that's Leonard Cohen to me. And, um, and, you know, I was like, what song am I going to do? What song would really kind of like, like, what is the, what is the most out thing I could do would be like cover this song, this like, you know, like hallelujah would not have any, not do any of the lyrics. And, uh, and I was kind of thinking my guitar tone for this, this live recording, cause I guess there's two, recording or versions up on the streaming sites and one is from the live thing we did and um i was kind of thinking about <clears throat> when miles davis was covering like human nature and these weird pop songs he does like, like a cindy lopper song too right yeah 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 and like i'm like that's that's kind of i was conjuring that and ween <laughs> and at this and just trying to kind of like take all of the um reverence out of the out of the song um which i'm sure of course like leonard cohen would probably dig um yeah i think somebody so he wasn't like like tiptoeing over it so yeah i had so much fun and then and then there was a sort of like a freddie mercury element to the to the version we did too um and so basically uh while, while i was in tucson during the pandemic I was having phone calls with um, Scott McMicken, the singer from Dr. Dog. And 
we were talking about working together and we've known each other for a while. I'm a big fan of, of his music and his songs and his band. And he was, he basically inspired the, the, my new record, um, where he said he'd heard this live version of hallelujah. And he was like, you know, it was like, brought me to tears. Like, he's like, you know, he's like, forgive me if this is something that's super obvious to you too, because I'm just getting into it myself. But, um, I, I realized to me that delicate Steve was all about, uh, phrasing and your phrasing, you know, like how, how you phrase the notes is, is kind of what it's all about. And I had never thought of my, my music or my band or whatever like that before. I, even when making a record, I kind of think of the sort of aesthetic window dressing elements first. And then the phrasing comes through when I'm playing everything, but wasn't thinking about that being the, the first, um, the most forward thing that I'm kind of like putting out there. And, uh, so yeah, that conversation really, really stuck with me. And then one of the things we just did for fun while in Tucson was do the, do this uh, studio version of hallelujah, um, Scott and I, and, um, he recorded that and yeah, I was, I was, I was just thinking like this hallelujah is a beautiful song. If you, um, if you think of it a little bit faster and sort of like, uh, stand by me by Benny King, like, yeah, like just kind of like, kind of, kind of grooving a little more. And so that's, that's kind of the version we, we did. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, I, I just like, uh, I like in general, it's like, there's, I think you're getting at what is really behind like so much of the music I make. It's like emotion based and it's, and a lot, and a lot of the emotion is joy. Um, yeah. But, and then the, like the, the other element is sort of sometimes like, you know, weird subversive artistic decisions where I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to be the one to cover hallelujah. Like the weird instrumental pop thing. That's and like, I, yeah, yeah. I love, I love the audacity of it. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, exactly, and I, I mean, yeah. I mean that in a real absolute genuine sense. Yeah. Like the, auda- the audacity of being like, I'm going to do this. And, and you know, that song is about the profane and the holy. And it's about the, the relationship between, the two. I was reading some William Blake Proverbs of Hell last night and thinking about that 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 connection between uh, that which is reverent and that which is uh, like a song about boning, you know, or whatever. You know, it's like yeah, it's yeah. like it's like all it's like it's not it's not just one of those things. It's both of those things at once, and that's what I love about. I love another quality I love of your. I mentioned the joyful quality, and that's absolutely there, but. There's a melancholy as well that like the melodies evoke, and and I love when a joyful rhythm uh, is kind of percolating underneath, and you're doing these kind of mournful little uh, little runs that kind of uh, suggest a little bit more on that subversive side of like a sadder a sadder quality, and and that to me like the music can. That that's what makes it magic. That's what makes it special. That's what makes it cosmic, which is a word I'm trying not to use these days because I just 
it's extremely overused. Um, but man, it's a utilitarian word. It's really easy. And I reach for it way too much. But cosmic in that a, a song can do both at the same time. It can make you feel happy and sad at the exact same time. And that is the most amazing and powerful thing about music is that it is paradoxical that way. And I feel like your records really, really get at that. Um, and that's something that I that I love about them. Well, thanks. I mean, that means a lot. I mean, that's, I, I think all the stuff you're hitting at is like, you know, things I think that I recognize in the music that I love. And so it's cool to hear that, you know, you're picking up on, on these things. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm glad it, uh, because it, it's very, it's very much there for me and it's, and it's very, you know, like I, I think I got, you know, turned on a couple years ago, I saw like a paste video where you and two other guitarists were, were playing and it was like, oh, this is kind of, I'm a, I'm a big ZZ Top fan. And so I heard some of the aesthetic sort of qualities of ZZ Top that you were playing with. Um, and oh, I, yeah. and I definitely was like, I love, I love this as, as a, as a record collector and as a listener of music, I love when people play with aesthetic choices, you know, and, uh, and play with like, okay, so this is going to be my eliminator record. And then, uh, yeah. and, and to me, I also am very, very drawn to the, to the intersection of gloss and digital sort of sheen i'm also a big elo fan so i love mm -hmm. i love how fake uh quotes around that word how fake like the horns might sound or a guitar or even a vocal um to me that is another thing you play with right that sort of uh less so on this record because the the strat you're playing we've danced yeah. we've danced around guitar but you're mostly just playing like kind of a naked sounding strat that really is a totally gorgeous i think it's like a, what 66 fender strat i mean that you've got on the cover yeah. too and that's it's an incredible sounding guitar so you're doing it less on this record but i do love the yeah, way yeah. you play with uh texture and almost like i don't know does the word pastiche sort of sit well with you because it often kind of conjures up negative things. I don't think it's a negative thing at all, though, to play with these elements of... You You alluded to Ween, too. Those are another... Ween is the perfect uh, example of what, what I'm trying to talk about, which is they'll do their sea shanty prog rock record or whatever, and it's hilarious, and it's also 100% genuine. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, on the topic of sort of like the um uh, ween and even just recording and recording quality i'm like i come from a time not too long ago you know like <laughs> yeah 10 10 years or so ago um where where different artists really had different different qualities to their recordings like not, not always like some, some, some great artists just kind of like went in the studio and it wasn't about, it wasn't about like, that wasn't a part of what made them great. Um, but, but certain artists had their own sound in their, in their bedroom or, or, or not and just in a recording studio that was unique to them in addition to the other things that made them great. And I feel like I, I sort of came up 
in that like the, the last like sort of um time that that was really happening i feel like where where you know i had like my own i had my own sound just based on the gear and stuff i had right and right that the t- time i'm referring to is just kind of like predates like logic and ableton things and and everyone having access to these virtual instruments and, and sort of like everyone's song is just kind of sounding like pretty close to one another sort of like instrument and vibe wise sure um before that it was like um sort of expanding on this like topic of everybody being or everyone having their own sound like i i was uh, you know my favorite bands like said this before but to that inspired my band were like dirty projectors and uh this band ponytail and yesayer and deer hoof and and these and and just thinking about that time and music and where there was like animal collective and leaf boxes and tv on the radio and grizzly bear and it was like really celebrated that you that you were a different sound like your sound this band sound sounded like the beach boys plus this plus this this band like yeah you you it, originality was not only celebrated but it was essential to stick out it was prized and, and every, yeah it was prized and everything down the middle that just sort of sounded the same was forgettable and sort of we're at the we're at the sort of end other end of the spectrum i feel like right now where sort of everything is just like even just talking about labels and stuff it's like everything is sort of down the middle and if you go really go kind of if you're pushing it in a certain way like it's 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 hard people don't have the attention span in their heads or i don't know we're just in a weird zone where yeah um we're sort of flipped from that but that's where my that's where my band comes from and it's still kind of trying to do that um and yeah i don't know it's just it's interesting it's it's interesting thinking about um the recording studio and the recorded sound of a band as part of their sound because i think that's a big part of my 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 uh band it's like i can't i can't just like throw up some mics and like you know it's like the the, the strokes or something like that like they have a they have a very singular sound recorded sound right um and it's a part of who they are and i feel like that's there's just not a whole lot of bands or music that there's that i kind of have that these days Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and, as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras 
The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. I love that as you're kind of going through sort of the bands that were really uh, blowing up and, and making big waves at the time that you kind of started this project and hearing you run through that list of bands from TV on the radio to Fleet Foxes to Animal Collective. I mean, that's right as I'm at absolutely becoming, you know, I was already obsessed with music, had been obsessed with music for, for a long time, but that's, that's kind of a, a kind of my era <laughs> as well. Yeah. And it's, yeah. and it's funny because as you're running through that list, I'm thinking, you know, deer hoof and, and into ponytail. And it's like, none of these bands sound the same, you know, they were all, they were all, uh, talked about sort of, and absorbed by the same not the exact same exactly. people, but a lot of the same people. And it's like, yeah, but, but flea foxes don't sound like deer hoof, you know? Um, and, and that's such a cool, that is, that is a really cool moment. And I feel like you've got that. I mean, I listened back to an interview you did with fretboard journal where you talked about how, you know, Ratatat was a band that was really big at the time as well. And how you, speaking to this this kind of this this yearn for uh, originality or your own angle or your own lane yeah you were like all right i'm not gonna fuzz the guitars out and harmonize them the way they do um and yeah. i'm gonna try this other i'll try some other approaches i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to rip off their thing and uh to me what you're saying really speaks to that desire to have a thing that is its own thing and really i mean i guess maybe that's part part of what i like about delicate steve is that you are kind of a a genre of of one you're like a you're like a soul singer who doesn't sing you just play guitar or or something you know and that to me is so is so fun i mean i i feel the same way and i i think the only way i could sort of get my keep keep excited about about my project over the years you know because i feel like uh now is not a time where it's it's uh you know having a, a moment it's like it's it's reached an amount of fans and the fans are the feedback from fans and people are really digging it and that's awesome um but it's really hard to obviously you know sustain the the project and keep keep on like keeping on of course but anytime i think about like um just just sort of uh how how quietly and efficiently can i just do my thing and hopefully continue to do it and just be the thing that was this this thing that the, the whole time maybe no maybe there isn't ever a moment where everybody suddenly goes oh my god i what like what is this thing like you know see has been this band for 30 years just i can't even believe i never heard this before that, that those feelings to me when i find out about a band yeah that's just been doing their thing are so cool um it's kind of more cool than just hearing like the newest uh yeah you know, great thing at the time you're like how what like it kind of baffles baffles you that you you haven't heard about it and um yeah it's just cool i'm like i think uh you know i think now is not a now is not a real um um happen in time to be just like the one person in your lane or whatever like um and also it's to be like 
one of many and like an oversaturated lane is also just as uh, hard for sure. But um, yeah, it's just interesting. We're just in this weird, uh, it's like my band came, my band was around before there was streaming services like an Instagram. And so right. even just like you, you, I, I didn't have to be my own sort of like salesman on, on a page. Like if, if, um, you know, I was doing something cool, you know, you guys would post about it or Brooklyn vegan would post about it and right. people would read about it. And, and you'd see photos from the show from last night and be, Oh, these people look cool at the show. And yeah, like it was very, it's just a different, completely different landscape. So it's like, right now it's like, uh, even post pandemic, um, it's just fucking feels <laughs> Are you ridiculous. Di- if you haven't yeah. made it up past that threshold, it's like, hang on, hang on to your, your, uh, you know, yeah. your pants right now. Shit, I didn't even think. I mean, I mean, are you are you doing like TikTok and stuff? Are you are you playing with those with those? Like, I I should have checked, but I didn't think to do so. No, I think I tried putting about six videos up there. It's you know, and like, and then I kind of just checked myself. Um, <laughs> probably take them down. I'm just like, it's not 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 for me. Um, yeah, you know, I'm gonna ride out the the these like. I'm going to be around longer than TikTok's around. Okay. Like, I think that's, I think I, it's absolutely a good, a good approach. And I do believe, I believe that like, you know, I, a rec, I, I do believe that like, uh, music that comes from a pure place and a pure place can sound, uh, high and mighty or self-righteous to a lot of people. Right. I don't mean, I don't mean, right, right. I don't mean morally this person is upstanding and perfect in every way. What I mean is like when someone does their own thing and that's their main, that's the main driver. Um, yeah. you know, to me, that's, that's what I'm talking about when I say purity, I'm talking about that, that creative, um, freedom and the willingness to express, to sing the song of yourself as opposed to uh, some other song that maybe you think other people want to hear. I do believe that, yeah. that it, given enough time, um, music reaches the people it needs to reach. And, um, yeah. and I think like sometimes I'll talk with friends and they'll, they'll mention that they just don't feel like they can keep up with music. And there's a part of me that is, especially as I get older, right. I, I find myself wondering, what does that mean? What what does that mean? Keep up with it, you know. Like it's like the beautiful thing about music is that it it allows us at least momentarily to sort of transcend time. And while everything is of its time, it's also maybe something that can exist outside of that moment too. And I mean, I imagine that as a creator, that's probably a feeling that you've that you felt and and have had to consider over over the years. You know that like look. I'm going to put this out there and it's, I can't worry about who, who picks up on it because that's not as an artist. Right. I mean, that's not really what you're doing. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you, well, you, you get, you get sort of coerced into believing that you have to kind of keep fitting into even smaller and shorter windows of time right? because it is oh, true. It's what's yeah. ha- it's happening, but it's like, um, yeah, I didn't have that epiphany until um the the 
last record I made before this one um, called Till I Burn Up, where I, um, you know, even just little things, I was like uh, looking up Gree uh, Gree, like the Dr. John record on, on Wikipedia sometime, like while I was listening to it, just like, you know, for the hundredth time, and I'm going to find out more. And you're like, wow, this record, like, totally tanked when it came out and right uh you know the record label didn't know what to do with them in 1969 or whatever and and even like iggy pop or like there was other you know things that i sort of in my head had just taken taken for granted that like you think like everything just comes out and now that's like boom 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 the next thing you know you're like you know iggy pop 50 years later and have had a celebrated career or even suicide where, where I was checking out an interview with them and they were like, people hated us. So like people, like we got booed off the stage. Like we, oh, yeah. we toured with the, the clash and you know, like fans didn't like us, the clash didn't like us. And like, <laughs> he's like, people, you know, do their little, write their little books on like the New York scene. And we were getting excluded from them. And uh, he was like, it wasn't until like the mid nineties or something like that in europe did people start to include them in in these sort of histories and then they started to slowly come around yeah and that's super inspiring and and yeah so that record i made was really um like almost obsessively or like i was just grinning knowing i was making something that for me was like i wanted to challenge myself and 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 try to make something that was more aggressive sounding in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and harsher. And, and, and it's thinking about like tr trans record by Neil Young and like right. all of these records that just basically don't um, hit when they come out and all the, every record needs to come out. And like, so it's just cool to think like, you don't have to, your moment doesn't have to be there. If you're, if all you're doing is trying to fit in, to that moment well you know that's a whole different story and, and your odds are going to be yeah like you have no idea what's going to even happen in, in a year from now when the thing actually drops so if you can get out of that mentality and i and i feel like that was around 2017 or so was the first um first time my brain was sort of like able to drift and not uh focus too much on like what was happening at, in the moment right right yeah and it's a difficult time for that right now because there's so much uh and our our, our attention is directed and uh often monopolized by just absolutely reactive in the moment thinking you know that's just a kind of a broader point outside of yeah the, you know and so it's like that that does play into the artistic process as well you know another record steve that you play on that i think is uh in my if i were placing bets uh i would bet strongly on freedom by amen dunes being a record that 50 years from now people talk about maybe the way we talk about who knows skip spence or whatever um i i love damon's songwriting so so much and that album is an all-time favorite um what was it like? How did, Same here. How, how did you connect? Your playing on it is is next level too, and 
thanks. The that line, there's a line in the in the record that like has haunted me since I heard it and sticks with me to this day, uh, and that I I kind of meditate on this line. But he, he sings that like we play religious music. I don't think you'd understand. Uh, and I, in a weird way, I'm like, okay, I don't know what religious music really means in terms of uh, an Amen Dunes record. But I also know exactly what it means, and that's what you guys are playing on that on that record. What was it like getting in that headspace, and and what was it like being with him? And was that did you did you do most of your recording at Electric Lady? I know some of that was also done at Sunset Sound. I don't know if those sessions were you there for both of them or. I could do a whole podcast on this record. I'm like, well, I, we might, you know, we might, I'm, we might need to do that at some point for for real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, such a formative experience for me, and um, I love Damon so much, and Parker and Jordy who were playing on the record and played in the band with Damon, and you know, got like deep friends, uh, uh, Panoram, who I didn't, the uh, keyboard player, synth player on on the record, who I. Well, I hadn't met until we were actually playing live. Um, but Damon worked with him on the record. One of my like closest friends and and uh, you know, aside from all that personal stuff, I'm like the 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 experience was uh I mean it it, it ran the gamut. It was so the, the whole thing I, I I'm just like where I don't even know where to begin. I could seriously <laughs> talk about it for, for like three hours. But uh yeah. Um, uh, how did just you, on the topic. Yeah. How did you, how, yeah. did, how did you first hear the, the tunes? Did he send you demos or did you kind of go in uh, and start crafting the stuff in the studio right away? What was, what was the, the layout like as you, the run up rather? Um, we, we started talking and um, he was kind of thinking about expanding the band and kind of going for a bigger sound at the time. And, referenced um referenced a lot of records that um just were totally like spoke to me and like talking about like exile on main street and like tom petty and i was going okay i see where you're going like that's my that's my jam and um and then i just showed up to one of the rehearsals that um damon parker and jordy were having to to try some new songs and i didn't know any of them and and um yeah damon damon is like a uh, a master at the iphone demo recording thing and so you know i didn't even really know it or like care what what i was playing yet it was like first takes of, of all these songs and he's he's got his phone out and like he, he's always kind of like making making recordings and that's how he makes his his songs initially so my first um sort of uh like connection in, into all this was just jumping into a, a band practice and just playing on songs for the first time yeah that's so cool you mentioned stuff like the you know it's funny because like the tom i've been i've been on like a tom petty kick i guess my whole life now that i say that but feels more concentrated the last uh, couple years for me. And uh, his playing and Mike Campbell's playing is so underrated 
yeah. which is a funny thing to say about massive hit songs that everybody from, oh, yeah. from your grandma to your, you know, little cousin knows these songs. So it's like, it's funny to say those are underrated things, but somehow I believe it. And yeah. And like that record doesn't sound like a Tom Petty record. Um, the Amen no, Dunes record. That's, <laughs> that's what I learned is that um, when Damon says something, um, and and this is what I was going to say before too. Like I, uh, you know, I've worked with many different artists, like in collaboration, and I think I think I'm uh, like good at it in quotes. Uh, because I have my project that I could, you know, do whatever I want to. And, you know, I was 16 years old once where I had just, I was in one band. And so everything I played on guitar meant so much to me. I, you know, you're living and dying by that. It wasn't like, right. You play this other thing. Like, yeah, sure. Like, it's like, uh, like you, you know, your wires get crossed. But so since, since having my own project and just kind of being older, it's like, I, I'm, I love collaborating and the, you know, I can either do my own thing and kind of follow my own brain. Like it's my own music or I can be, or we can just see what happens and kind of work on it together or, you know, and, or be driven by the artists to kind of get, get out of me what they want to get out of me. And the process with this was just so um like i came in oh yeah tom petty cool stones cool i know what those sound like i know what you want like and i was always wrong like <laughs> like like you know and i didn't know it wasn't like oh not like that like it would start off and we'd we'd um basically like we you know we 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 did a lot of these rehearsals and we went to a studio in Hudson, New York for a while. And then we went to electric lady and I did most of my guitars at electric lady and this other studio in Brooklyn. I was like during some overdubs and, um, working kind of one-on-one -on -one with Damon in that way. It was kind of like, I could do whatever I wanted until like the overdub until like the kind of focus happened. And then it was this collaborative process and yeah, the stuff he got out of me, like for one i'm so critical of my own you know not in like a annoying way but like if i hear something that i played on and it doesn't sound good or if the mix is off or if i'm like oh it could have been better like it kind of bums me out right and uh i hadn't heard i, I almost sort of gave up on how this record was going to sound because i had no actually had no clue and by the end of it like like I kind of never heard a, a mix that was solid. They were all rough mixes and stuff and just didn't hear the whole thing come together. Like Damon had in his head um, and was trying to get there until basically hearing it for the first time. I remember where I was and I was on a walk and everything I was like, I was convinced that I didn't play any of the guitars. Wow. Because I just didn't remember them and they didn't sound like me. They didn't feel like me. And I've listened to the record again. And I'm like, Oh my God, I remember playing that. Oh my God. And this, and it blew my mind. Just so it was like, as a, as a creative experience, like, um, 
he got something that's that's what i love about collaboration um just getting to a place you could never get to by yourself and he really got um something that like you know no one else has gotten out of me and i haven't been able to get out of myself and it's really i'm like i, I love that and i think it's so cool and uh it makes me so excited just to know like whoa like you know okay what else can come out of here with with somebody else or under different circumstances and right uh, yeah so the, pro- the process was so you know and i'm and i'm talk- summing it up right now in like this like cliff notes like positive way but like a lot of the times it was like hard, hard to kind of figure out what was what what to play or what 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 you know what was right Damon can, yeah yeah and he's he's not a he's not like a a music music guy i like do this and neither am i like just do that here like so so that's there's no conversation like that it's just like it's really trying to get the vibe and and we 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 stumbled on something that really worked where he sort of was visualizing or creating these like you know scenes like picture this and this and this and this and then we do a take and like that kind of kept working so so we hit it we hit a stride at one point where we were we were both laughing about it too because like it was really fun but we just described like uh pretty out there like um yeah you know scenes and i would play guitar on something and and he'd be like yeah yeah and i'm like oh my god it's it's funny that now you're you're like you're getting what you want when you when and at first you told me you know petty and the stones yeah and i was like oh that's that's this and it's like no it's that's not what he was after like and so i i, I kind of go back and go like what he was talking about when he brought up those artists like was something totally different than what i was um kind of some some uh, yeah something more something more spiritual maybe uh which is maybe a weird way to think of it or or maybe incorrect but i think about how like you know agnes martin was such a big influence on that the painter and how she'd talk about vacant mind you know the sort of the sort of clearing out of a certain thing and so it's like i guess maybe that's what i hear that connects it to something like my favorite Tom Petty songs, it's that when they're on, that there's like, it's like you're in a whole world of that song. And I feel like that's something that that, that Amen Dunes record shares. You, you brought up Kanye West earlier, and I was curious, Kanye sampled one of your, your songs, but the, I don't think his, the song that he, that he built on one of your samples, I don't think it ever came out. Is that right? It is, except that he sampled two of my songs and neither of them came out. I found out there was another one and that's bizarre because I was on tour with Amen Dunes when I found out about the first sample and I was losing my mind. I was like, oh my God, it was going to come out in three days and it never did. kept getting pushed back and this whole sort of debate of whether or not this tracks any ever get released and you know i would have made like a bunch of money and it would have been sick and yeah. the song was fucking awesome so that's what i was gonna so ask like, was you got you got to hear the tune i got to hear the tune just from finding it online like the like basically what what happened officially was like um the lawyer 
played it over the phone to my my record label um and like that's kind of how it officially like happened and then the all, me hearing it was finding it online um from like a kanye super fan and um yeah and then so so while i was making till i burn up this this record i'm like fuck i'm like you know that's another ingredient to that that thing like fuck just do your thing you cannot predict who's going to ever hear your music i could have never guessed that kanye west would have heard one of my songs i made in my bedroom in 2012 even though i grew up listening to kanye west and that song is in, is is in some ways inspired by like you know kanye and the samples he would use and music's kind of circular like that there's no way i would have ever thought obviously kanye west would ever hear one of my tunes right so while, while making that record i was really um committed to just like just follow what you want to do as a artist and don't worry about if people are going to like it or not and the first track on that record um which is called way too long like you know there are parts of the record where i was really thinking about kanye west as as like as an artist just at that time and yeah like maybe three or four months ago um some other random kid just hit me up and was like hey did you ever hear the other song that kanye sampled and i was like what and you know send me this like dropbox you know like unreleased mp3 and it's uh it's basically the first track off of my off of my album uh till i burn up uh like in its entirety with like with uh this singer um aunt clemens who's on a lot of new kanye stuff and so i was like oh my god like i'm almost like manifested this like yeah. i was thinking so hard about kanye during this time and and just doing your thing i never thought he would hear that like and it just it just bonkers so that's that's part of that story that's amazing i hope that both get released very soon and the checks begin flowing in uh oh, legit thank you but i but i also think i love i mean when i think of till, till i burn up i mean i know my beautiful dark twisted fantasy was sort of a reference point obviously I really love that record Yeezus as well. And I just love how fucked up it is, how blown out it is. It's it's to me, the fact that Lou Reed's last published piece of writing was a review of that record for the talk house speaks volumes. Oh, yeah, speaks volumes because like they're the same kind of artists, right? They're absolutely infuriating at times. They're uh, indefensible at times. They're, you know, talk about audacity, right? I mean, like Lou Reed, Kanye, we're talking pure audacity. Yeah. Just no, yeah. no, no restraint. And, um, and that's, to me, one of those reasons why he's an artist who I just, I don't feel like I just listen to Kanye. I feel like I reckon with Kanye, you know? And I love that there are some artists that that ask you to do that, you know? And and I think it's so fast, endlessly fascinating and cool that that circular connection connects you to him in this like direct way. Um, that's just a that's a pretty mind blowing thing. So I imagine that despite the fact that these songs haven't come out, which is a drag, uh, there must be some sort of like 
was there a feeling of validation like hey this is yeah i'm on the right track whatever whatever it is oh yeah yeah i mean like i'm you know i i i'm still certain he has no idea who i am well sure or you know (laughs) and it's like but like so so knowing that and knowing that he's hearing a thousand songs a day you know by every producer he's working with that are bringing in in tracks and beats and stuff to play you know he goes like what's that and like and he's into it enough to not only make a whole song over that track but to like sing but my like the sing like my guitar part and i'm like you know i'm 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 like a I like i'm like a little kid like thinking about that like I'm like like you know i grew up listening to him and again like he doesn't know who i am it's not about that and and the song that i that is on uh that he sampled just to kind of like talk about how how it's not even like me and how kind of all this music is totally circular um this song was called wally wilder and I basically made that song it was on my second album because i met anand from yesayer once at a show in new york in like 2009 or 10 and i gave him a burn cd of my first album that wasn't out yet and he wrote me back on myspace like that that same night and i was like oh my god like and he was like your music you know this is incredible like it reminds me of like you know there's brian eno and this and that and a bunch of names i had recognized and the last one was this wally batteru and um i didn't know who that was so i looked it up and he's like a synth player that that made um instrumental records and also played with like talking heads and stuff at some point so i got really into wally batteru because you know anand heard that in my music and i was like oh cool like and we we covered a song of his called jungle for a while and in like live with delicate steve and um so then when i was making that record i was like i was kind of making a song that i was like okay like this has got a little wally batteru thing going on and i'm gonna call it and i finished the song i'm gonna call it wally wilder because there was also a little yesayer thing in there yeah and wilder is on his last name so i'm like like just i'm like that makes me feel like it's so cool like the you know ideas just get passed on to people and you know you do you did the idea but it's not like yeah not really saying a whole lot about you it's like yeah that's, you're tapped into other people who are tapped in who were tapped into other people and and the fact that that kind of chain keeps going and and kanye west did that with my tune and like i'm like that's so cool yeah ab- absolutely you know it's funny this is like kind of a left field or maybe not that left field um I should stop commenting on the quality of my questions before I (laughs) do them. Um, But I was thinking as you were talking about the, you know, the new Beyonce album that that's out that I actually haven't listened to yet. Um, But uh, I saw that Diane Warren had kind of enraged the Bayhive on Twitter by asking like, how can a song have 26 writers or something like that? And yeah, 
and on like on one hand, like I understand uh, what she's saying, and I and I I empathize. Sure, I get that, you know. Like, uh, but then there's this other part of me that I think if I'm trying to be intellectually honest, like every song probably has at least twenty six writers, right? You know, like uh, whether they know it or not, these these threads and these connective yeah. this this connective tissue of music. Um, nothing comes purely from just one person. Uh, you, you, you make it fully you by doing it the way that only you could. And that's amazing. But that, that idea of credit, you know, and understanding that all music is in common. There's a song on the, the last Kurt Vile record that talks about that, that talks about Steely Dan, uh ripping off uh oh my god what did i just song for my father uh okay anyway the, this jazz standard you know and just sort of being like yeah like it's all like did they rip him off uh or did they did they interpret you know is this you know and these are the questions we could ask uh you know endlessly and debate back and forth and it's a boring debate because to me it's like yeah, everything feeds into everything else and it's all connected. And this isn't something that we need to be worried about. But then again, if you get sued because your tune is too much like somebody else's, it becomes a very, it it's becomes less of a philosophical concern and more of a legal one. So I do recognize the, the validity of asking all these questions. But yeah, I don't know. That's, a, again, kind of a long windy thing. But I love that everything especially when we're talking about your records, it does feel like it's part of a conversational thing with the music that you love and the music that inspires you. And um, yeah, man, it's been, it's been a real blast hanging out and talking with you about this stuff. Likewise. Thank you, man. I was going to say, you know, the add it to the list of things I feel like you've touched on. Cause I, I don't know how to define myself a lot of the times. And when, so when I hear somebody pull something out that, resonates with me i want to be like yeah 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 and then i think you said something just now about how it's part of this conversation with the music that i love and i'm like yeah yes like that's that's a huge it's like the other huge part of this whole project it's like i even just like you know ha i'd say more than 50 percent of the reason i made my first album was to just have a seat burn CD that I could give to Dave Longstress from the Dirty Projectors to show him how much like his music meant to me. Yeah. Like I'm serious. Like I was, you know, I was like, oh my God, like this is so cool. Like I gotta kind of put make something. Um so yeah, just to say uh that's really cool. And uh, I haven't kind of thought about it my own stuff in that way, but it's very true. Well Steve, I love thinking and talking about your stuff and i love listening to it and uh, we'll have to have you back on maybe we'll do some sort of what i guess maybe the five-year anniversary of freedom is next year uh oh wow maybe we get maybe we get like a half a decade retrospective and we'll get you and damon and we'll we'll talk about it i mean i like i said i could talk I could think and listen to that record endlessly so maybe that'll happen who knows who knows the future's weird I agree. I'll, I'll I'll be here. I hope, and uh, just I'll be around, ready to ready to talk. <laughs> well, Steve, thanks so much for taking the time. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend, and uh, thanks for doing it. 
Thank you. Take care. Have a good one. Good talking with you. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the show. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton. Visual design is by Daryl Norson. Our show's executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his weekly Aquarium Drunkard show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. PST on Sirius XMU. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and spread the word if you dig transmissions. We are a part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Next week on the show, our guitar-centric turn continues with Chris Forsyth, who joins me to discuss the skinny tie Popol Vuh vibes of his fantastic new album, Evolution, Here We Come. I hope you will come back and check that show out. All right. Thanks for listening. This transmission is concluded. <laughs>